Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. Since its inception, Jennifer has interviewed many prominent women in the industry to help turn ideas to action and grow a network that can help build a better future for women. Women remain the driving force behind this growth, but male allies can play a critical role in helping to bring about these changes. That is why Jennifer has launched Mentors That Make a Difference, a spinoff series that allows men to speak on their experiences and share how they are helping drive social change to close the employment, pay, and culture gap for women in technology. We hope this new segment will continue to inspire change and encourage growth of women in the industry. Listen in as these collaborative stories start right now. Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. This week, I'll be speaking with Alan Middleton. Alan has spent over 20 years in various sales leadership roles within the information technology learning and development space. He is known as a highly creative collaborator with a passionate commitment to the success of both his internal team members and external customers. Currently, Alan leverages his experience within the AWS Training and Certification Channel Organization, working with their high-impact AWS training partners to drive their cloud business growth while increasing the number of AWS-certified IT professionals in the market. Alan lives in downtown Cincinnati with his partner, Gary, who is a medical massage therapist in private practice. They have two children, Max and Grace, as well as a one-year-old mini golden doodle named Lily Mae. Alan is an avid traveler, a foodie, and enjoys all forms of the performing arts. Alan, I'm so excited to have you on our Mentors That Make a Difference segment of the show. Thanks so much for being an ally for women in technology. Can you tell us a little bit more about you? Well, I'm equally as excited to be here, Jennifer, so thank you for having me. Like you, I've dedicated most of my professional career to IT learning and development. I started uh, as an account manager over 20 years ago and have since transitioned uh, into sales and marketing leadership roles with many of the most well-known brands in our industry. Um, I currently serve as a partner development manager with AWS Training and Certifications North American Channel Organization. Here, I work in collaboration with our leading AWS training partners to grow their AWS training and certification business. I live in downtown Cincinnati with my partner. We have two children. My son lives in Los Angeles where he's building a music career. My daughter is a senior in high school, so we are knee deep in the college selection process. Well, that's exciting. <laughs> that's yes, a it lot is. Of, a lot of things going on at the same same time, but that's great. So, you know, Alan, this podcast is focused on bridging the employment pay and culture gap for women in technology. So what are you seeing in the industry today? Well, the great news is, largely in part to the contributions made by yourself and others to put a heightened focus on women in tech, is that we're seeing and hearing a lot more about bridging the gap for women in technology, and that's exciting. The immediate challenge is that the pandemic has caused women's participation in the workforce to drop across all industries, and tech is no exception. I saw a report a few days ago on CNBC that referenced research by Anita B. 
anitab.org. And for those listeners that may not be familiar, Anita B is a global nonprofit focused on gender and pay parity in tech. So definitely worth checking out. Uh, but according to that source, uh, today, women make up almost 27% of technologists, which sounds encouraging, but is actually a little over a 2% drop in representation from March 2020 and a reverse after five years of steady progress. Now, we know that companies tend to use hiring as the main mechanism to increase diversity in their workforce. Uh, and the pandemic hiring freezes have certainly had a huge impact in that regard for the second half of last year. On a positive note, hiring is rebounding, uh, particularly in Q3 of this year, and women are making up nearly 31% of new hires into tech jobs today. So that's very encouraging. The other data point that I thought uh, was very interesting in the research uh, and very positive is that um, the share of women being promoted in tech jobs continues to climb. Um, and the share of women as tech CEOs jumped from 3.9% in 2020 to 10.9% in 2021, which is outstanding and hopefully signals accelerated progress uh, in 2021 and, and, and beyond. Those are great stats, Alan. I just, I, I love that, you know, we are going in the right direction, but the pandemic really set us uh, to go backwards and that really, really hurt us. So we have to now do a lot more to get not only the women who's dropped out of the workforce back into the workforce, but then back into technology. And so it's encouraging to see that 2021 stats are showing uh, the movement in the right direction. So thank you for those great stats. Those are really, really helpful to see the picture of what's happening in the industry today. Sure. So what are some of the qualities in an ally? We, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that we need male allies to be alongside with us on this journey to get women more, more women into technology. Uh, but what are some of the qualities that we should look at as we build this allyship? Because we really need the support to get us, get us to equity. So how can an ally support us? I love this question, Jennifer. You know, any needed shift in inclusion, diversity, and equity absolutely requires support on many levels to drive change, which creates the need for allyship. You know, and there's a lot to unpack in your question. So let me let me share it in a couple of, of buckets here. So the first part is the idea of the qualities we should look for in allyship, right? So the concept of allyship is new to many people, myself included. I became more aware of it as I examined my place, my inherent perspective, and the way that I live day to day as it relates to equity. You know, allyship in my mind is fundamentally about learning, and that process requires courage. You know, once I understand who I am in relation to equity or fairness, there's a moment or many moments of self-awareness that lead to empathy for others. And that's a journey that can take many roads. So for me, I think the qualities, the most important quality that we look for in allies are foundationally that of willingness. Now, the second part is about action. 
how do we take that awareness and empathy and put it into execution? You know, it can be overwhelming to think about how we tackle that as individual contributors. But for me, I've learned some fundamental things that I can do day to day to be a role model in allyship. To begin, I have to acknowledge my own discomfort and lean into that. You know, there's no what if in this effort. At some point, I will say or do the wrong thing. And if I'm going to be a successful ally, I have to allow myself the grace for that to happen and then be prepared to apologize for my missteps. That also means the commitment to do more listening than speaking when that does happen, right? Next, I have to make an active commitment every day to do a number of things and do them consistently to build my personal brand of allyship. I have to use gender inclusive language and titles. I have to be intolerant of others using poor behavior to avoid uncomfortable discussions. I have to speak up when I see non-inclusive or inequitable behaviors and course correct it for the good of everybody. Um, I have to be aware of microaggressions, you know, any minor, minor verbal or nonverbal actions that discount someone, single them out, belittle someone, you know, based on a diversity attribute. You know, these happen more often than we, we're aware. And until we do truly become aware, we can't make a change um, in that regard. Um, and finally, I have to make a commitment to invest in the effort. And that can mean a lot of things. It can mean having a conversation like this one or speaking to others or joining an affinity group or a project team in my organization to implement policies that will lead to cultural change. You know, once I do those things as an individual, I hope it will inspire others. But more importantly, I hope it will make me visible to those who are seeking the support of an ally. That is very well put. Thank you for that. And I completely agree with every point that you made. I think one thing I would add is the unconscious bias piece. You know, mm -hmm. we all have biases and many of them are unconscious. We don't even know that we have them. So uh, know your discomfort, like you said, and then get comfortable with the uncomfortable because um, it is so important for us to be uh, champions, you know, for women in technology so that we can give them that boost and confidence that they might be lacking. Absolutely. No, that's great. Um, and I love that it's part of your personal brand. And that is so, so critical because we don't want it to be just the sake of saying the right words, but the actions and the execution means so much more. So I love that you have, you know, taken this on and made a commitment to make this a part of your personal brand because diversity, inclusion, and equity are so critical. We talk every day in our organization about inclusion. You know, we, we want to have everybody have a voice. And in many organizations, that's not the case. So I think we're making some strides and organizations are more, um, you know, they're more aware of diversity, inclusion, and equity. And so I think they, they are going to, we are going to see some of the changes in the future uh, coming through this uh, initiative. I hope so. 
I hope so too. So we both are very passionate about help, helping underserved communities. I have done many programs in um, many areas. Women is one piece of it, but there's underserved communities in LA that we've done some um, training programs for them and the success has been incredible. They've actually gone out and got jobs at Accenture and many other organizations that are well known. So it's really been very, very helpful in serving these underserved communities and bringing them into IT. Can you share with us any specific areas that we can make a difference? There are so many ways to make a difference and it's it's really hard to sort of dig into one or two things in particular, but um, you know, the great work you're doing is exemplary uh, of what Thank is you. possible. You know, we, we live in an amazing country where, where people can do whatever they want, regardless mm -hmm. of their history or their circumstance. Um, and we live in an amazing time in our history where opportunity, particularly in tech, is plentiful. Um, and we know, you know, we see study after study that says that, you know, global tech leaders have a, an intense tech shortage. So if we can do our part, whatever that means, uh, as part of the IT learning ecosystem, uh, to make a difference and, and sort of sound the alarm to promote the opportunity at hand in underserved communities, um, I, I think that's our responsibility, whether that's working with potential students as a mentor or a volunteer to socialize the opportunity that tech and tech ed brings to them, whether it's working with educators and educational le leaders to promote the development of strategies and initiatives and policies to push people into tech, um, or working with community-based organizations. Um, you know, there are tons of profit and nonprofit uh, organizations out there that work to facilitate and support education and reskilling initiatives. Um, so anything that we can do um, to support those efforts, um, I think is critical. You know, I, I always go back to us as individuals. How can I influence a positive outcome for another human being? You know, the old How corporate give, yeah, yeah the, the old corporate give get mm -hmm. as a basis for every decision is, you know, no longer positively received. You know, how do you and I create opportunity for underserved individuals today in non-traditional ways to help and give to our collective community? I personally believe that that comes back in spades um, in agree. lots of different ways. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if I have a great answer for anything specific you can do, but, uh, you know, at, at the very least, go get involved and find a way to make a contribution. That's perfect. No, that's great. Um, you know, education is something that's so important and skills are so important, not only to build confidence, but to then get a career in IT moving forward. And so we focus on that and we're both in, you know, skilling. Um, but the other area to think about and keep in the back of your mind is devices. You know, many of the underserved communities don't have 
the resources to have devices. We take it for granted. I just, you know, I have multiple devices and we don't think about people that don't even have one device. So that's an area I'm really starting to focus on to say, okay, how can we get more devices um, into the hands of underserved communities? And then broadband, you know, there's definitely this divide where many people don't have broadband. I know with the mm -hmm. pandemic start, I was watching the news one day and they said, you know, homeless people were actually like sitting outside on picnic benches near schools or Starbucks and trying to get broadband so that their kids could learn. And it just made me think, wow, you know, we take so much for granted on a daily basis. Yes, we do. Yeah. Did you know that there is an increase in the number of women leaving the tech industry? As a woman-owned business, Directions Training has made it our mission and passion to change this statistic. That's why Jennifer created this podcast. We showcase insight from everyday women for everyday women in the tech industry. Do you know other people that would benefit from tuning in? Share the link and help us drive the advancement of women in the tech industry. Do you have a journey or know of someone that our listeners would benefit from hearing about? Reach out to us at directionstraining.com slash podcast. Don't forget to follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and wherever you find your podcasts. Now, back to the show. So um, today, many organizations have a focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion, like I mentioned. What are some best practices that you're seeing around creating a diverse and inclusive workforce? Are there any things that maybe Amazon is doing or others that you've seen that really are great best practices that our listeners can take and maybe implement? Sure. So, so uh, first of all, I'm grateful to work for a company whose mission is to be Earth's most customer-centric company nice. and is always seeking to better serve our customers. And, and that means internal customers, employees, and, and external customers. Um, and that requires a commitment to innovation, but it also means that we have to have the right builders in place to drive that. Um, and that's where diversity is key. Um, encouraging different points of view, sharing different experiences, so that our perspectives are broadened and the way that we understand our customers um, is broadened so that we can meet demands of all kinds of populations, right? So um, McKinsey, in fact, has a couple of great reports, if you haven't seen them, that reference the statistical correlation between team diversity and financial performance, which are pretty profound. So there's a 2020 report called Diversity Wins. And that report shows that there is a 25% uplift in profitability when teams at executive levels are div diverse. So that's, I mean, that's just profound in my, in my mind. And so what are the best practices? So the, the organizations that are doing the best job are doing so very intentionally. They're creating a roadmap to go from being reactive um, to ID&E um, to proactive and intentional with ID&E. And I hope that's a trend we'll start to see continue as people sort of become woke to the fact that ID&E is so important in mm -hmm. today's world, you know? starting the conversation, assessing the current state, making an institutional commitment to success, 
um, and then investing in projects and programs that will have an impact with employees and customers. You know, one of the things I keep reading over and over and over is, you know, employers are, are desperately trying to keep their good people. And ID&E is playing a very big part in decision-making for a lot of people, um, particularly post-pandemic, about where they want to choose to spend their time, professionally and personally. Um, and I think that's very important. So for any organization from a best practice perspective, start the discussion and assess your current state um, uh, to be able to get buy-in to move forward. Because if, if you don't, you're going to get left behind. I think that's 100% accurate is to have a plan, be proactive rather than reactive mm -hmm. and execute on that plan. A lot of times, you know, people will just ad hoc say, oh, you know, we're going to focus on diversity and there's no plan around it. So right. it is critical to have that plan and then execute on that plan because then you will see results. And I'm glad you mentioned the McKenzie um, study on the profitability. I think that is huge, 25% greater, greater profitability in an organization because you have a diverse set of ideas. They're bringing different thoughts to the table and that really helps you grow. So I love, love that. Um, so let's switch um, conversations uh, from diversity into leadership next, because I believe everybody needs to uh, demonstrate leadership abilities. And it doesn't matter what your title is, but you can be a leader in whatever title you, you have. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the steps that leaders can do more of to step up their game? I'm sure you've seen, you know, good leaders in your careers and not so great leaders in your career. What stood out? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I personally strive to be a great leader uh, mm -hmm. in, in my uh, organization day to day at, at whatever level or whatever contribution I make. So, you know, I think a lot about that. Um, and when I think about the leaders I admire, um, you know, they all have a few things in common. Um, and, and I think the one thing that stands out most for me is inspirational vision. You know, goal setting with an outcome beyond a margin or a profit. You know, what are the tangible or intangible benefits of what our work leads to that inspires us to be successful? These tend to be the leaders I'm drawn to because they ignite opportunity and they ignite the need for innovation and they ignite excitement. Um, you know, certainly I'm always impressed by leaders who uh, demonstrate a high level of integrity and trust and personal accountability and mm -hmm. transparency in that regard, which give them, you know, heightened credibility. Um, taking ownership earns trust with others and creates a culture across an organization of selfless accountability, uh, which is rooted in humility. And I am always um, attracted to those folks that, that have that perspective. Mm -hmm. um, if the pandemic has taught me anything, I think it's that we're all human beings. Um, 
and I think that leaders who seek to understand their colleagues and who take that into account as they build their skills, design projects, um, implement strategies, um, they will always yield a team of loyal, highly motivated peers. Um, so what do leaders need to do to step up their game? From my perspective, employee satisfaction and delighting the team has to be just as important as it is in doing those same things for our customers. Yeah, I completely agree. I love your uh, comment about inspirational vision because leaders are there to inspire and motivate their teams. Uh, managers can do all of the, you know, micromanage stuff, the day-to-day -day tasks, but leaders are really the inspiration behind all of it. And it's funny that you mentioned the pandemic because I was going to say one of the things the pandemic taught me in order to be a better leader is have more empathy. And mm -hmm. I've had empathy, but it just felt like I needed to grow that to that next level during the pandemic because now I have employees that are, you know, helping their kids at home with school and uh, everybody is in the same space, you know, trying to fight for internet and whatever that Juggling looks like. And, yeah, multitasking, it's crazy. <laughs> That's right. And so it really, really was difficult for so many. And then some of them even got COVID, you know, at that same time. And I just, mm -hmm. my heart went out to them because it was just such a difficult time. But, you know, it shows that if you inspire and if you motivate and if you encourage people will really stick with you and feel like you're a great leader taking, you know, supporting them. Agreed. Yeah, it's great. All right. So what is the one thing you wish you had known when you began your career that you've learned, you know, over time? Mm, yeah. <laughs> I think the one thing I wish I knew early in my career is that failure is okay. Mm -hmm. It teaches you a great deal. Sometimes it teaches you more than when you succeed. That's right. And that those failures usually contribute in a pretty meaningful way to what then becomes successes later. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as a, uh, um, a type A personality, um, <laughs> particularly young in my career, I was always trying to be correct and do the right thing and check the box and get things done, you know, ahead of a deadline. Mm -hmm. And I wish I had, you know, sat back in my chair a bit and let myself experience things in a different way. Yeah, that's great. Great lessons to be learned. You know, yeah. if we don't fail, we don't ever succeed. So you have what's to have one thing that, What's one thing you would have known when you were starting out? Mine is to not to react to situations. I used to react very quickly. Now I pause and I give it some thought, maybe even let an overnight go by before I give my thoughts. And that was like a huge lesson for me to learn because I would say my thoughts right away and I would react to the situation. But then when I had more time, I came up with so many other thoughts that I thought I've got to pause, step back, listen, think. <laughs> that is a really good one. 
Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. really taught me that over the years because, you know, and I look for reaction from others too right away because that's the personality I am, you know, and I want you to get excited. But actually one of my employees taught me this many years ago. She processed stuff all the time and I'd get excited about an idea. And she said, let me think about that. And I thought, well, why aren't you excited about my idea? And then the next day she'd come back and she'd give me all her thoughts and they were very positive, but it caught me off guard because of my personality type a, I, you know, I'm in the moment and yep. it's not always great. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. So who are three people that have been the most influential to you during your lifetime? And they don't have to be all business. They can be business and personal as well. Yeah, there are so many people that have had such an impact on me. Um, mm -hmm. Certainly my father is a big standout. Mm -hmm. You know, he was very successful in business, but he also had some very hard, painful lessons along the way that still influence my thinking today, every day. That's great. Um, that's great. Uh, so that's, yeah. Um, my teachers. You know, teachers are so important. Part of what I love, you know, about what we do is that we get mm -hmm. to talk to teachers every day. Um, you know, I had a, a life-changing teacher in high school who completely changed my personal trajectory. Um, you know, in college, I had, you know, a few professors that really resonated with me and taught me things that I think of you know, once a week, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll go back to those conversations. Um, you know, professionally, there's been tons of people. I've been very lucky to work with, you know, a lot of really good people uh, in mm -hmm. my career. Um, but there's just so many, you know, it's you know, the whole it takes a village thing. I've, right. I firmly believe in that. Um, and and I try to expose myself now to as many people as I possibly can mm -hmm. to continue to reap the benefit of all of those lessons. I love that. It's, it's really pausing and thinking about the journey and thinking about how many people really influence your life. And I think teachers is such a great uh, example because um, I just this last weekend did a call uh, a virtual meeting with friends from high school. So like over 40 years ago. Oh, wow. And so I don't really talk to them that often, but in just talking to them, there were six of us and it was amazing to see that we all had the same teachers and we all have the same, uh, you know, thinking about education and how important that is. And, and all of them were just brilliant. And I was like, mm -hmm. wow, you know, this, this is from the teachers that we got growing yeah. up that made yeah. the difference. So I'm glad you mentioned that. And then your father, that's amazing, you know, with a role model that he was um, not only successful in business, but then taking time to really um, be that role model for you is huge because it's not easy to do when no. you're so busy running a business or running your career. It is, you know, sometimes family doesn't take the, the front seat. And so for yeah. him to do that, that's really great. That's yeah. awesome. 
I love that. So I've really, really enjoyed our time together. Um, so in closing, what advice would you give to a woman considering a career in the tech industry? You know, I think I would say two things. One, pick your top five companies. Mm. Whatever reason, whether it's product or mission or personal, you know, passion, whatever, and go seek internship with them. You know, start where you want to land. Try a different, mm -hmm. couple different companies. See how their cultures feel. Um, it's a great way to experience an organization and see if what you think is your passion, mm -hmm. in, in fact, is right. Mm -hmm. The second thing is, and I, and this is another item I wish I had known when I was early in my career is find a mentor, mm -hmm. you know, reach out to somebody you admire, even if you don't know them or you don't have any connection to them, um, tell them that you admire them and why mm -hmm. you admire them and, and what about them is intriguing to you and, you know, see if they'll work with you. I don't know anyone mm -hmm. that I admire who wouldn't invest their time in guiding somebody. Mm -hmm who had a willingness to learn, who had a willingness to grow, you know, I, especially in the learning space. I think we, we all appreciate the value mm -hmm. uh, that that can bring. That's great, great advice. I love the top five company internship piece that is so critical to kind of get the feel of the organization. Because sometimes you don't, from the outside, it looks one way. And then when you really get in, it's different. So you want to be inside really feeling uh, that you're a part of something bigger. And when right. you're there, it makes a huge difference. And then the mentor piece, yes, I completely agree with you because without mentors, none of us would be where we are today. Um, right. I think we need people to really guide us. And like you said, if you find somebody that you admire, reach out to them. Most 100% of the time, I would say they would say yes. And they might be able to dedicate, you know, one hour to five hours just doesn't matter, but at least you have that person guiding you. So those are great, great pieces of advice. Thank you for that. Um, so in closing, Alan, can you share with our listeners how they may get a hold of you? Sure. Well, I am I'm definitely out there on LinkedIn. Um, I have all my personal contact information uh, readily available there as well. So if if folks want to reach out to me via that channel or or just uh, ping me uh, directly with my email or, or phone number that's listed there, um, I welcome any conversation. That's great. Well, thank you, Alan, so much. This was an honor and a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, I just love that you are such a strong ally uh, for women in technology. Uh, continue to support us, continue to carry that flag with us. And uh, we really appreciate all your efforts and your allyship. So thank you again. It's, it's my pleasure and my privilege. So thank you, Jennifer, for the time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Tech in the Right Direction. Please take a minute to subscribe or follow so that you never miss an episode. Also, don't forget to like, share, and comment. Thank you. See you next week. From IT skill enhancements to end user adoption training, Directions Training is your resource to help optimize the effectiveness of your technology investments. 
Over half a million students have taken advantage of our wide selection of technology and business training solutions covering the most popular applications today, such as Microsoft 365, Azure, Windows 10, and more. As a podcast listener, we invite you to take advantage of an exclusive offer. Receive 30 days of free access to our Microsoft official curriculum on-demand courses for IT professionals or end-users. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com slash podcast to claim this offer today. Hurry, this offer is only available for a limited time. Success is a journey. Ask for directions.